everyone. Hey, thanks for joining Dietrich and me on this series called The Ultimate Treason, Episode 3. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, 1 and 2, in this series, then I encourage you to do so because in our first episode, we touched on persecution towards Christians. And then in the second one, we mentioned reasons possibly for this, with the number one reason being that Jesus told us in Scripture that people hated him, so people were going to hate us. And that hate stems from man being sinful and how all men, every one of us, are sinners. We also posed a question like, is there anything that we can do about this sin? Are we stuck here? Or is there something better? And we wish to share some very good news about what the answer is. And this will be our focus in this episode, how there is hope. First, before we get into that, though, I thought we would begin with some really positive news. Although it is true, you know, that there are Christians that are being martyred and that we have jihadists and radical Muslims who are doing a lot of this persecution, there is a flip side to this. We came across a news clip from Pete Hegseth. Now, this is listed on our website if anybody wants to watch the whole thing. Pete is interviewing a couple of missionaries to Iran, and one of whom is the producer of a series of videos called Sheep Among Wolves. So evidently there is a movement going on where thousands of Muslims are leaving their religion and flocking to Christianity. Now there's no specific building of worship. There is no one person that is leading this movement. It's mainly women who are involved, so that should scare us, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) They are finding something that they deem to be better than what they had in their own religion of Islam. So we're going to play a small portion of that video. Start with you, Dalton. Lay out this film because... when I first saw this story a couple weeks ago, there was an article on foxnews.com. I hadn't heard of a church growing, let alone quickly, inside Iran. Break this down for us. Yeah, I think the, the bottom line is that there's two different Irans. There's the Iran that you hear about in the news, which is the, the regime, the Ayatollahs, but then there's the Iranian people. And those two things are very, very different. And it was probably about six years ago that Joel and I got connected to the leaders of the church in Iran. And we began meeting with them pretty much every year since then in countries around Iran and all over the world, meeting with them for training and encouragement. And we started hearing their stories and started looking at the hallmark distinctives of this movement, that there's no centralized leadership. There's no buildings. There's no 501c3s. There's no denominational leanings. It's mostly led by women. And the most startling thing is they're aggressively pro-Israel. And it's 100% former Muslim. So you're looking at the hallmark distinctives of this movement going, this is one of the most profound untold stories, not just in the Middle East, but in the world today, that you, because Iran is the number one existential threat against Israel today. Mm-hmm. And yet deep in the heart of the country is a movement growing that's following the Jewish Messiah that loves the state of Israel, that loves the Jewish people. Wow. Joel, I think for our viewers, for myself, still just wrapping your head around a church inside Iran. Give me a sense of size and scope. What are we, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so there are various uh, missions organizations that do a lot of statistics and so forth. So first of all, they're saying it's growing at just under 20% per year growth multiplication. So that would, that would mean it would double every five years. And numbers are somewhere between a quarter million upwards as much as three million. Um, our people inside say... Christians in Iran. Yeah. Our, our folks inside say it's closer to half a million to a million. These are Muslim background Christians, so not just nominal grew up Christian, but these are These people. are converts to Christianity from Islam. I got to yeah. believe the regime doesn't like this much. Right. The regime exists. Um, they, they 
maintain their control through their whole narrative of being the stewards of this invisible messiah figure and this sort of thing. So when people embrace a different religious system, that means they're going to lose power. They're going to lose their grip on the people. And so they don't like it at all. That second guy, Mr. Richardson, he was asked, what's the size and scope of the Iranian church? He said it was growing at 20%. That is huge. There was a book written back in 2006 called The Simple Church. And in that book, it quoted a statistic about the American churches. And it said that you would be in the top 10% of all the churches in America if your church grew 5% that year. So 20%, wow. If you haven't watched any of the Sheep Among Wolves videos, I encourage you to do so. I have in front of me an actual testimony of an ex-Muslim from one of these videos who was converted from Islam to Christianity. And, and I want to read to you his testimony about his conversion. I was never happy before. I was using drugs for many hours and would experience happiness for a few moments. But after Jesus came into my life, I have lost many things. But he has brought happiness into my life that I don't need anything or anyone to make me joyful anymore. This is the thing that makes me stay in Jesus. That testimony is only four sentences long, but what a powerful testimony. I mean, here is a man who found something better than what he had. And in our next episode, we're going to have a guest who we will be interviewing, and she will be sharing also about the difference her life has been since she has joined Christianity, just like these ex-Muslims are doing currently in Iran. So what is it? What's drawing so many to Christianity? And that is what our focus is going to be today. If you look at most religions, if you're going to summarize them, they fall under two categories. you got the first one who says, hey, man's good. You're good. I'm good. We're all good. Everything is good. Anybody who takes a look at this world, you can see, uh, no, it is not all good. We've got serious problems here. And then the other section, they say, well, you know what? You're just going to have to work your way up to God. You've just got to do enough things and enough good things, and then you're working your way up to God. But the problem is, is how can man work his way up to God? Not really possible, is it? And that's why Christianity is really the only religion out of all of them that teaches that man can do nothing to salvage his state of lostness. And because sin existed in man... That created a gap between us and God. And the Bible actually says that we are enemies of God because of that sin. Fortunately for us, though, God loves his enemies. And he demonstrated his great love for us by sending his only son to die in our place. And that is found in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. You know, so God in his infinite love and wisdom knew what was necessary to reunite us with him. In other words, he created a bridge that we must go through and to be forgiven, restored, and cleaned up. This bridge is Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name which we can be saved through. Salvation cannot be found in any other name but Jesus. Jesus is that bridge. And to reiterate that, there is nothing that we can do that saves us, cleans us, or makes us pure. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, God saves you by his grace. So what does that mean? It means we can't do anything to deserve it, but he did it anyway. So he gave us that, this grace when we believed, and we can't even take credit for this because that itself is also a gift from God. And just in case someone is hearing this for the first time, I want to paraphrase the story or the actual event of what happened to Jesus. So God sent Jesus through Mary. Mary and Joseph were Jesus's earthly parents, and he lived down here on earth for 33 years. He did what was good. He taught people how to love God, and he, he made sick people well, and he did many miracles while he was here. And one thing to know is that Jesus wasn't born with sin. He was divine. He was 100% God, 100% man, and he never did bad things. And it doesn't make sense to us that a good person like Jesus would be punished as if he were a bad person. But that's exactly what happened. And remember, we said that there were people who hated Jesus. Well, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were religious people who thought they knew more than Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus's popularity, and they were especially haters of the truth that Jesus spoke, probably because it exposed their own sin, sin that they didn't want to give up, sin that they probably didn't even want to recognize that they had. Even though he never did anything wrong, he was punished. Now, his punishment was to be put on a cross and to hang there until he died. You know, when Jesus was crucified, he suffered, he was mocked in front of a mob, he was spat upon. He was made to carry his own cross to where he was sent to die. He was beaten more than a man should have or even could have been able to endure. He had a crown of thorns put on his head, nails driven through his hands and his feet. When he went through all this, he asked for a drink of water. He was given vinegar to drink, and he had a sword put in his side. These are extraordinary things. There are also, though, more importantly, extraordinary events that marked the death of Jesus. First off, the sky was completely dark for three hours as Jesus hung on the cross. And at the moment of his last breath, the earth shook, and the temple curtain was split in two from top to bottom. Now, when we think of curtains, we think of some thin, sheer piece of material. This is not even remotely what the temple curtain was. It was a very thick piece of cloth that would take incredible strength to tear, and it was torn from top to bottom. And what was so interesting about this is this curtain symbolized to the Jews the wall of separation between God and man. When Jesus died, the wall between God and man was destroyed. Again, God showing Jesus is the one that salvation is through. After all this, Jesus was taken down off the cross, and his body was wrapped in cloth and buried in a tomb. So I just want to pause there for a second, because we've had people die for others throughout history. But this is where the story does not end cannot end. It doesn't stop here. It gets good. The truly amazing part is that three days later, after Jesus was buried in that tomb, some women went there to embalm him, and Jesus' body was not inside the tomb. The clothes that they had put on him when they buried him were there, but Jesus' body was gone. He was alive. He died, and he came back to life again. You know, life is the amazing part of the story of the cross. You know, what is a cross made to do? It is made to conquer life. It is made to create death. You know, a man can die for somebody else, but to be then raised from the dead? Only a divine God's going to be able to do something like that. And you may be thinking, you know, all right, where did you get this stuff? 
I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 27. This is where we see the his, a historical document about what happened with Jesus. And so then the thought process may be, all right, you're quoting the Bible. The Bible is biased. It's not a historical document. You can't use that for proof. Okay, then I want you to use Josephus. Look him up. He wrote about Jesus. He was a historian that was alive at that time. And there are others as well. There's people out there who are going to lie to you and say there is no historical documents showing that Jesus existed. Sorry, that's a lie. And what's amazing is that now Jesus is alive and we can live and be free from the state of sin that we're in. We have hope now through Jesus' sacrifice and the promise of living with him forever if we allow him to be the Lord of our lives. I like how Rick Warren gives an illustration about the gift of salvation and eternal life. He's a pastor from this large church called Saddleback. And he describes these two things, salvation as a gift. And he says, gifts are free. They don't cost us a purchase at all. All we have to do is accept these gifts. We have to just receive them. And 1 John 2, 2 says, he himself being Christ, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. This is for anyone. And what do you do when you receive a gift? You open it. You enjoy the benefits of that gift. Who sits a gift on the countertop all year long and never opens it? I mean, if someone did that to you, you would think it would be rude, wouldn't you? Of course you would. And why is it important to accept this gift of salvation from God. Because it does say in the Bible that he who does not confess Christ or does not walk according to his word shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Dietrich and I want you to enjoy what we have enjoyed since we have become followers of Christ. And also, just like that man's testimony, He stays in Jesus because what he tried before doesn't satisfy. He is experiencing the benefits now of that salvation gift. And Jesus is the only thing that fills that void. If you want to choose Jesus, then we want to tell you what to do in the next two episodes. But first, join us in episode four to hear about someone else who did that very thing. She let her gift sit on the counter for years. And until one day, circumstances in her life brought her to the point where she just had to open the gift. She felt compelled to open the gift. She wanted Jesus to satisfy that void in her life. And as you will hear, she hasn't regretted it for a moment. I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to ask you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Spotify, and we are now on iTunes. If you want to talk to us, email us at truthisnowtreason at gmail.com. Until next time, my fellow traders. traders. 